Podcast Network Asia. Apart from delivering on performance, you are able to deliver on something even more valuable, and that is purpose. And when we say purpose, that's all about meaningfulness in who you are as a brand. I am Shane Madamba, Chief Digital Officer of Havas Media Ortega. I am here to define the job of a digital marketer, a job that never plateaus, a job that always evolves. We are here to answer questions and debunk job descriptions by interviewing professionals so we can put an end to our career search. This is Job Defined. Thank you so much, Shane, for being with us today. And uh, I usually start off with this question. What was your childhood dream? My childhood dream, Pat. I've always wanted to be a lawyer. That was my only dream no back in the day it was because pat uh, you know during that time i was very argumentative <laughs> i had a lot of fun uh, speaking with friends and speaking with colleagues in a very assertive manner to a point na syempre when i have a certain deal that i want to be able to win i i have this very structured way of um, presenting my case. So let's say if you know we're going to uh, do something as a group in school. So I would have like my one, two, three, four, five, and then my pros and cons. Kaya uh, nga in fact, Pat, back in college, I really pushed myself to be a member of the UP Debate Society, and that was a really a big eye-opener for me during that time. That's why, indeed, I was prepped and I was uh, on fire to, to be a lawyer. Yeah. So, which makes me curious, how did you end up in your current career right now? So, if you wanted to be a lawyer when you were a kid, how did you end up in advertising, specifically digital advertising? Yeah, it's been an interesting door that opened for me because when I was taking my internship, I think that was like third year, fourth year college, I sent out my, my resume to several companies and there was only one who responded. And the company who responded was McCann Erickson. And that was the time that I said, okay, this is cool. Uh, let me research about this. Let me uh, look around and try to understand what advertising is all about. And in Makan kasi, how they do their internship is they group you, no? So you're like a lot of individuals who come over from different schools. And then there's going to be a revalida that you have to pass and put together. And uh, you will be given the big privilege to be able to present to the Emily Abrera during that time and everybody from the management side of Macan. So I was fortunate to be given a case study I remember that was for Greenwich. No, it was a tentative case. It was a hypothetical case rather. I was teamed up with a couple of guys from the Ateneo. I had also a team member from UP and we were assigning roles during that time. And somebody was assigned, of course, the account director because we were playing roles eh. So somebody also played uh, the creative person. You guys were like pretending to be account directors and... Yes! 
Huh, role that's, playing. <laughs> that's so interesting. <laughs> oh, I know. And then, um, syempre, they needed a media person. And and you know what, Pat? What's interesting was when they were assigning the roles, it's as if I didn't know where to where I actually fit. No, I don't know. Parang I felt I could I I could be a, an account director during that exercise. In a way, I could be a creative as well. But in that particular project, I was assigned to be the media planner. Okay, so I said, "Who? What? And who is a media planner? What am I supposed to do?" So that was the time that mentors were assigned to us. Yun na, I started. Um, Doubling into uh, VMSs, so we call media plans because VMSs or uh, visual media schedules, wherein you need to be very strategic in how you plan out your teaser phase, how long and how much are you going to spend for your launch, and how are you going to sustain the campaign. And I remember doubling into identifying the touch points. So I remember the team was asking me. So do we do radio? So do we do? Uh, I remember it was it Friendster during that time. There was no Facebook, pa eh. So do we do Friendster? Do we do? Do we do Yahoo? So so all these media questions were were on my plate. And and you know what, Pat? What what was super magical about the experience? We were the we were the Grand Prix winner of the Revalida. And that really stayed with me very much. Um, that experience really stayed with me. And I said, "There's so much power. There is so much power in being that person who would strategically lay down the strategies when it comes to, you know, what touch points need to be considered. When will the touch points be invested upon?" And how will these touch points interact with each other? It's like really bringing that magical charm between the right person targeting it. Eh, it's about precise targeting. It's answering the question of the right user or the right person, the right target, the right time. No, because timing is everything as well, and um, the right message. So not because um, you have the money doesn't mean that it's going to work perfectly, but you need to make sure that these three ingredients will work together to your advantage in, again, channeling that message and influencing people, making that big impact. So that stayed with me, Pat. That stayed with me. And I said, oh, my goodness, I, I don't think... I want to be a lawyer anymore. I want to be a media person. <laughs> I want to be a media person. And then, you know what? After I graduated, I did not rest. Huh? I did not go on vacation. I, I told my family, no, I want to work. I want to work. And uh, I applied again. And luckily, uh, Starcom, Starcom Media Vest during that time called me. And, and the rest was history. I never, I never left. I never left the agency world. It's been over 16 years, Pat. And... I'm enjoying, I'm still learning a lot, but I found my place. Yeah, so uh, happy Sweet 16. So <laughs> <laughs> True, true. It, it got me curious because you mentioned that you wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, I have an idea of uh, what you guys went through. The reason why you wanted to be a lawyer is, I wrote it down, because you're argumentative, you like presenting your case. Yes. And I think it's quite similar. Uh, was that prominent when you presented 
in that particular uh, exercise that you did with Makan? Were you able to build a case and then you argued your case? You hit it right on the nail. It, it's a skill. Eh? It's also um, not just passion, but your ability to push yourself to the center of the conversation and make that case come alive. Even if you have all the data with you, you have the right strategies, but you are unable to communicate it well and in a language that your audience will definitely understand, the whole campaign can also be vulnerable. Eh? So even up to now, and you know this, Pat, I teach a lot and, and I entertain and accommodate a lot of you know, webinar and conference opportunities, it really helps if, you know, I am able to transform my message based on the ability of my audience to comprehend and to accept what I'm trying to say. Because admittedly, not because you have, you know, all these people listening, it's, it's never a copy-paste exercise. It cannot be a copy-paste exercise People have various levels of digital maturity. People would also have different um, mindsets about digital. And for sure, actually, in most of my classes, I would have people who would be very hesitant to embracing uh, digital marketing. So, so the kind of persuasiveness and assertiveness, all those really, really help um, to, to really make yung, yung case mo come alive beyond just presenting facts, great ideas and whatnot. And again, like a lawyer, you got to be in it to win it, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, um, it seems like you. the reason why you got inspired to pursue what you're doing right now, Shane, is because of a specific moment. But I just want to ask, was there a specific person that inspired you, like a mentor or one of those people who guided you in that particular moment? Hmm. Well, one thing is for sure. Well, during that time, Pat, um, Emily and, and the whole management of Makan, they, they essentially blew me away. So, so I would consider that particular moment with all, the, all those, you know, brilliant and very much generous people who have helped me open this door no, to, to realize that advertising actually is something that I will fall in love with. But the far, apart from that, I actually consider everybody I've worked with from one agency to another, Pat, no, I would consider them all as mentors. Because for example, during my first uh, stint, naman, I remember, of course, Lizelle Maralag, who is who was then managing director of uh, Starcom and now with GMA7. I would admire the way she would present Pat and the way she would build her cases and especially in front of the big clients that was definitely an inspirational moment for me and even yung succeeding you know i can go on and on with the with the people who have honed honed me and essentially have helped me kind of like crack both worlds not just from the technical skills but also from the soft skills side that's for sure. And I think also for, you know, for the people listening to this podcast, that's one thing that when you talk about a mentor, that mentor doesn't have to be like just one person from your past. 
But in every project, in any initiative, in any campaign for that matter, there could be like a mentor when it comes to creativity. You could also find a mentor when it comes to leadership, right? For example, now uh, my boss, syempre si Mother Hermie de Leon, I, I admire her when it comes to yung resiliency and of course, yung really never giving up, right? When it comes to... Of course, when times get tough with a client, so so depend talaga. So I hope that you know the listeners to this podcast. When you think of mentorship, think about not just one person, but the many people who are very generous around you, sharing their experiences, sharing their failures. I believe, and you learn from them. Okay, that's nice. Uh, actually, I also want to, this is my observation, Shane. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Ever since I started headhunting, I've had uh, headhunted media planners. So I saw the transition as well to digital. And it seems to me that before, ultimately, it seems like the media planning really took on a bigger stage when digital came on. And if you think about it, some of the practices or principles of digital marketing can be anchored on media planning as well, especially right now with the uh, ads management and then the science behind the, the campaigns. Am I observation correct or what, what are your thoughts on that? That's a very sharp observation, Pat. No? And indeed, because of digital, now it needs to be a collaborative eff- effort across the different uh, stakeholders, whether it's whether it's an agency we're talking about or from the client side. No? It definitely has to be a, a collaborative uh, engagement. Back in the day, a lot of people would remember this. Whenever we present to client... I believe 90% or more than 90% of the time, that would go to presenting the creatives, no? mm-hmm. the, the beautiful creatives, the visual, the, the strategy behind it, the big insight, and maybe around five minutes. <laughs> five <laughs> minutes will be left for the media plan to be presented. And, and I would like to... I'll corroborate your observation that has that has changed uh, drastically. In fact, mm-hmm. I would encounter meetings wherein the media, the media has to go first, yeah. even before the creatives can move. Mm-hmm. And I believe that would be the most optimal experience for all. Bucket, because it's going to be very hard to ideate on something and create all these beautiful components to the big idea if let's say with the media strategy um shempre we we use uh, the framework we call poggle no paid owned granted leased and earned media so when you look at this framework and if the media strategy points us with respect to channel behavior with respect to touch points penetration affinity looking at really how people consume these touch points, then we are able to cherry pick and be able to identify what are the touch points that will make sure that we will address top funnel awareness, right? Top funnel objectives, awareness, visibility. What touch points will address consideration and what touch points will uh, drive conversions? So looking at that approach, looking at the Poggle framework, 
respecting the whole marketing funnel from awareness, consideration to conversion. After all these items are answered, I believe that's the only time you can actually think of a very strong creative recommendation, eh? right? Rather than we have this whole creative exercise done, and let's say this creative big idea would be fit for something that is socially driven, right? But as opposed to what the media strategy can possibly unearth, and let's say video marketing and search, for example, would be very critical so that we can um, drive affinity and in-market audiences, then creative needs to adjust, right? If search needs to be covered, then we need to put together a very creative way of how we can activate search and how we can activate our video marketing, whether it's for your remarketing purpose or your customer match and whatnot. So so all these things are covered in the media side, mm-hmm. you know? And as I've mentioned earlier, the right target, the right person, uh, the right moment, the right time, and as well as the right message. All these things will be essentially catapulting you to the best creative approach and those two will blend together very beautifully right and that is what's quite optimal today rather than again starting with something creative and then you kind of squeeze it into the media touch points that you will Mm -hmm. be selecting after so now it's it's not i don't want to say reverse but no but now it's we are optimizing for the consumer. At the end of the day, we're doing all these campaigns to, to make an impact for our consumers, for our target audiences, right? So with that, media definitely has evolved and let alone digital because digital is comprised of many options and, and many strategies within each. Yeah. Can you say that media planning is uh, or performance marketing is media planning 2.0? Something similar? Hmm. Coming from my perspective as a headhunter, if I was looking for a talent, normally I would look at the closest. I remember this was seven or eight years ago. People were asking me to look for digital marketers. And I would see media planners. And then, okay, is this person what they're looking for? But this is the title that they're asking. So is it? Uh, is there some sense in what I'm saying, Shane? Or what are your thoughts? I agree, Pat. And performance marketing is uh, definitely a specialist space for Mm -hmm. mature industries who have navigated through their top funnel and mid funnel. Hence, they would have multiple opportunities or conversion windows, as I would like to call those, conversion windows that would allow them to track properly and optimize towards performance, whether it would be a successful transaction within their marketplace presence, if it's a successful transaction done within their e-commerce online store, badly put, or or it could be you know a lead, even a lead that's successfully generated from a lead form. And it could be optimizing performance based on being able to book for a, an appointment if you are an automotive brand, right? If it's a test drive, even for a sedan or a, or a pickup truck that you have been searching for for quite some time, those industries or those clients definitely 
are very lucky because technologically now, Pat, you have all these pixels and tags in place so that we can optimize based on the action that really means a lot to the client. At the end of the day, it's ROAS, right? Mm. So we can optimize that uh, based on what will contribute to their bottom line. However, Pat, I would like to reiterate the fact that it still needs to be a a balance between driving performance and driving branding, okay? Mm-hmm. Because when I get this scenario a lot, when clients approach me that, hey, you know, I want to generate sales like all clients do. <laughs> all clients who like to generate sales through advertising. And us, syempre, with the agency muscle and all, we do our best to optimize based on the conversion and definition of the client. Give and take through time, the base, no, the base that performance drives will have to be reignited and we have to continuously scale up. And focusing on performance alone will give you a very limited visibility of the kinds of people who you want to be able to convert. What am I trying to say? It means that focusing 100% of your energies towards end funnel, you are also missing a whole big lot of size of audience proportion that branding can address. So they need to cycle back with each other. You continuously have an always-on performance strategy, but at the end of the day, you also need to to protect your your branding efforts no so that your prospecting audience will continue you still you still deliver on your uh, rtbs or reasons to believe you talk about why people should choose you you talk about your credibility as a brand yun yung branding efforts that will definitely be hand in hand working together with the performance efforts of the campaign so i would like to say patna it's tempting. It's tempting to just do performance because it's possible. It's it's here. It's everybody. Everybody could could do it in a way, in a in a certain degree. But let's not forget the importance of continuously driving the value of the brand. That's why uh, you might have heard as well, and maybe you've read about it when it comes to how brands are finding meaning no, in the lives of people today. Because if you look at the marketplaces, if it's just going to be a performance discount price ball game, the value of your brand or the value of your product kind of gets into question. In the marketplace, you can be like, like let's say you're, you could be you could be looking for a smartphone. Let's say you're looking for, for a Samsung product, no? And you are going to be exposed to all these other options. And if it's a performance game, that person definitely will be influenced by price. And even with, like, let's say there's a different brand offering, um, there's a free tablet and other accessories. So it kind of really plays with your mind, right? So it becomes like a, just really an end funnel route. What people are looking for today is that nobody can replace you in the hearts of people. And apart from delivering on performance, you are able to deliver on something even more valuable, and that is purpose. 
And when we say purpose, that's all about meaningfulness in who you are as a brand. That's why I go back to what I've mentioned. Driving performance always on. There's nothing wrong with that because driving performance drives that drives sales, no? that drives the bottom line. But not, let's not forget deepening our relationships with people, bringing meaningfulness to their lives. And, you know, we're just not this brand. We're not just this product out in the market that, you know, it's buy one, take one, 50% off. We're not just about that, but but we're much, much more. Okay, so it's uh, really deeply rooted, deep understanding of the brand. And I, I with all these transitions that happened in marketing, so many segments, sub subsets, if you strip all of those technicalities at the very core of digital marketing, what do you think is at that space, at the very core? Strip out all the technicalities. I would say... It is critical thinking, Pat. Um, and when we say critical thinking, it's all about going back to the core. And the core is the consumer. Um, I'd like to share this with you. Just the other day, I was um, interviewing somebody. I was speaking with somebody. And I was you know, very curious in, in how this individual was influencing the clients no, that this person was, was handling. And there was a lot of mention about by the book best practices. You know what I mean? Like when you go to the Facebook uh, best practices website, you can see mm-hmm. all these things that you could do, optimize this, optimize that. When you click on this, when, when, you're, when you're looking at the dashboard, you can click on this. You can do automated place, automatic placements, et cetera, so that your campaign will be more scalable, et cetera. So even for Google, there was a lot of mention about YouTube best practice and, you know, adding a companion banner and whatnot. So there was a lot of discussion between, between myself and this individual about by the book. And you know what, Pat? As you've mentioned, you're taking out all the technicalities, the buttons that you can click, the scripts that you can add, you know, because to the people who, who understand what I'm trying to say, when you are in front of the dashboard, there are, there's a lot of things that you can do. And fortunately and unfortunately, a lot of other people also know these technical tactics. No? So for me, if you take all those away, there has to be this person in you that needs to come out. This person needs to come out, this critical thinking person who can creatively develop certain recommendations that can truly address clients' requirements or needs. And to a point, Pat, it's like being a consultant to your client. You know what I mean? Because because in this industry, some people think that, oh, when you deal with agency, getting an extra arm and, a, and an extra leg no, who can who can do things for you if, if you're loaded. So if you're cli- from the client side, you're like, oh, I have so many things on my plate and, you know, I, I need an agency to, to implement or, you know, let's use the word execute. I said that's the, that's the <laughs> term that people really use. I need an agency to execute. 
But you know what? If you're looking for a role in digital advertising, you gotta be ready to have a say, have a strategic say when clients reach out because clients reach out for a reason. And that reason is because they believe you are part of their team. You're not just this agency person who will execute. You need to be a consultant, Pat. You need to be a consultant who will help the client make better decisions. Yeah, that's a, it's actually good insight. It reminds me of uh, me, my personal principle when it comes to dealing with clients is basically I work with clients and not for them. Because it feels like when you're working for them, it's it, it's a totally different perspective. When you work with them, you're beside them. So I, I, I agree with what you mentioned. Hi, I'm RJ Ledesma. Get inside the heads of the country's sharpest and most innovative business personalities and entrepreneurs. Hack your way to success as you learn more about how they think about business. What are their best practices and success secrets? How do they innovate their businesses during the pandemic? And what opportunities do they see in the new normal? Join me on the RZ Ledesma podcast. Another question that I normally ask is, what are the common misconceptions about your profession being a digital advertiser or a digital marketer? What are the common misconceptions, Shane? I would remember, uh, Pat, because back in Densu, when I was uh, GM of iProspect, I used to work with Donald Lim. No? Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, Donald sharing this, this funny story that there was this presentation and somebody was during back, well, back in the day, no, there was this ongoing presentation and I believe the projector wasn't working and something was, you know, something was wrong. And people would normally look for Who's the digital person in the room? Please fix the projector or <laughs> <laughs> fix the laptop or whatnot. That was, you know, that is a huge misconception, man. <laughs> <laughs> and and now, no, fast forward to today. If there were like um, three things that I believe would be common misconceptions, number one would be the whole technical, complicated developer level of a programmer role that would be required to be a digital marketing practitioner. And I definitely would would attest to this because, you know, personally, I am no expert. I am no specialist when it comes to coding or programming stuff. But innately because it's my you know it's it's part of the job and and I believe it's part of my responsibility to be a generalist for my clients I need to understand what's happening around you know in in the environment of the client so that we are able to make uh decisions whether it's a go whether it's a no go but not to a level of of the whole technical coding back-end stuff, right? That's a big misconception, to be honest. It helps. It definitely is a huge advantage if if you have formal training and certification to do a lot of the um, 
technical side of things to a certain degree, if especially if you have a role in Google Analytics and making sure that in Google Tag Manager, for example, you, you make sure that the tags are in place, the right conversion actions are tracked, are you tracking events and whatnot. Definitely, the, the technical knowledge helps, but I believe it is not mandatory to be successful in a digital marketing role. That is a big misconception that I always get from friends and colleagues. I believe the whole technical side of things can be learned as a generalist so that, you know, decisions for the business can still be made. And along the way, you have all these great modules done by digital giants. You do have like your uh, skilled shop, site from Google, you have Facebook Blueprint. They are so easy to to go through, huh, Pat? You have very helpful videos and articles that you can read through so that you can make sure that every campaign will be flawlessly executed. So I believe the technical skills can, can be addressed along the way, but never make that a hindrance. Hindi siya balakid to pursue a digital marketing career. Maybe a second one that I hear from others a lot of times. There's a misconception when it comes to ano, when it comes to age. I don't know why, Pat. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the whole phrase wherein people use, you know, you are a, you are a digital native or you come from the Gen Z or you're so cool, you know, all this stuff. And and you know what? I'll be very honest with you. Through the years I've I've been working in this industry, I have never looked at age as a variable into being successful as well in the digital marketing scene. In fact, there was a point in my, in my life that we were hiring uh, people older than me, and even even if they reported to me, that that didn't mean anything at all, right? Because we have our different experience levels and our exposures to, to different types of clients. And that's perfectly fine. And not because you are younger, that means you're better when it comes to implementing digital things. I'd like to think that it's all about, it boils down to um, the eagerness and it boils down to your passion for digital marketing. And I believe that knows no age. That's the second misconception I could think of. And maybe another one I hear oftentimes. I, I remember I um, when, when I was still teaching in, in UP, I did teach for a couple of years, both in Deliman and Manila. And this is consistent, Pata, nakakatawa. Because most of my students would actually ask me, they, they feel ad, uh, digital advertising, it's, you know, it's like super toxic and... You'll never sleep. You'll never sleep again or something like that. There's always a misconception that if you are in digital advertising, you're definitely going to get so much work and there's really no balance and no opportunity for you to learn other things and for you not to grow as an individual. I believe that it's not even a legend that's told specifically for digital advertising, but advertising in general. But to the listeners of this podcast, I've had my own fair share of 
you know, overtime and doing that extra mile. And I believe it it needs to be a personal decision. You know what I mean? It needs to be a personal decision. I'll give you an example. There was like in many points in my life, not just one, not just for one client, but several times already. There would be like a big pitch, Patno. In advertising, when we say pitch, it's the whole exercise of preparing a big presentation so that we can win a client over, right? It's practiced, uh, not just locally, but worldwide. In every pitch, a lot of creativity, of course, is required. And how we are able to present numbers in a way that still we are telling a story. Because the last thing you want would be to bore the client and, you know, the client not feeling excited to um, get the chance to work with you. So it's always the same practice. My discipline, kasi, personally, I cannot speak for the others. My discipline is if I want to win, I want to win. And I'll make the presentation look as if we really do want to win. And you'll see that, Pat, when you come across a pitch presentation, you will know if it was done for two days. You will know if the presentation just, uh, you know, it was just done last night. Clients will see through that. And that's the whole, you know, exercise of doing overtime. And and I don't want to say overtime or use the term overtime, but I'd I'd like to use the whole concept of doing that extra mile. Right, And that extra mile is expected from us to not just deliver, but to as well show the client how excited you are to get that business and how enthusiastic and how you envision, how you actually develop a vision for this client. So kung ako nasa client side and, and I encounter this kind of agency na kitang kita in the presentation that it was very well thought of so much data was used in a sense and transformed into deep insights that will not just affect one campaign but can potentially be the the north star of all the campaigns for the year and that is a misconception for me it has to be a personal decision if you want to do things not just in the right way but if you want to do things that will speak of who you are and you want the project to exude your level of energy, clients will see. Clients will know. If again, you spent an hour or two in the presentation or you were able to collaborate, you were able to stimulate the different people in your team and you've worked together on it. And, and that for me is, you know, that's that's an expectation from from all our clients across the board. Yeah, actually, I I remembered one of my favorite quotes by Jonah Math. If you're not going all the way, why go at all? So every time we would pitch, I remember just to share an experience of mine. I did a pitch for a client as well, and I remember I poured my poured my heart into it. And during the presentation, I even created a timeline even the day that they would award it to us all the way to our collection date. And then the client was like, oh, uh, I thought this was a pitch. I, this is already a pre-prod. And <laughs> I remember I told them, I, I already assumed that you're going to give it to us anyway. So I went on and we won the account. And 
that's been my practice ever since. If we're not going all the way, why go at all, right? So it reminded me of that. And another thing that you shared, Shane, that it seems like in if you're in digital marketing, you throughout our conversation, there are subsets, there's so many things under digital marketing and being a chief digital officer in your current position right now. And then you also mentioned that about being a generalist. And we all know, I think it's quite almost, uh, it's cliche already that you're hearing that uh, jack of all trades, master of none. But what are your thoughts there being a digital marketer and having that generalist approach as well? Can you Can you share with us? Yeah, and I believe it is um, actually an advantage, Pat, if you are able to to shift from one to another and to another, depending on the situation. That is why um, to be a generalist, um, it helps me personally when I speak with clients who have a very broad thinking when it comes to digital or media in general. So it really depends in the situation. I'll give you an example. So I would encounter clients wherein the the clients are coming from a traditional media background, for example. It hugely, it hugely helps, Pat. Whenever I I get into a a room or into a call with them, it hugely helps when we kind of speak in the terms that they truly understand. And that means a lot to these clients. Instead of bombarding them with conversation pieces around optimizing based on maximum clicks or maybe um, highfaluting conversations around different types of matches when we activate the search campaign and whatnot. So, So instead of getting into that whole technical and specialist vibe when you are in front of a broad strategic thinking client, wearing that generalist hat can actually put you in a very good place. And that means a lot to clients who really want a business partner and not a person who will lecture them. And you know how it is, Pat. Clients don't like being lectured at in the same way that I do not want to be lectured at when I'm when I'm in a particular meeting with a lot of different parties, you know. So if if you are like, let's say, a Facebook champion or a Google search ad certified person, you don't want somebody else in the room lecturing you with the things that you do 24-7, right? And that's the same with clients. And I really believe that yung hat bilang generalist no that's why i really don't like the the phrase na jack of all trades na master of none because in the whole advertising conversation we do not have time pat we really do not have all the time in the world to go through every time the details and the technicalities before a client makes an uh, an impactful decision for the campaign to go Right, And it takes a really very good generalist to be able to pack all the details necessary in a certain encounter to help the client make that decision, yes or no, or maybe we need to recalibrate or whatnot. So 
you know? So that hat will definitely come in handy. As opposed to, let's say, Pat, it's very much already like... Uh, like a tier two, tier three project wherein, let's say it's a web development project, right? And for sure, um, as a practitioner, you would be opened up to or endorsed rather to uh, the client's lead when it comes to development or maybe somebody who leads the iOS group or maybe somebody who developed the, the Android app or whatnot. So there could also be encounters wherein the whole specialist hat will need to take place. And you know what? There's nothing wrong if you can't be a specialist because sa dami naman pat, right? So, sa digital, <laughs> ang dami. You could be like a website specialist. You could also be an SEO specialist or maybe an SEM or search engine marketing specialist or maybe like Manny in the previous episode, diba? You could be a strategist and you are specialist in that field. Um, there is no need to take upon yourself na you need to be a specialist for all. And that is how agencies work and that is why we have agencies and agencies are built around several groups and several divisions with those expertise with those specialist uh, skills that you can you know that you can bring into the room you can bring into the conversation to make sure things are implemented flawlessly so for me kung success lang din po ang pinag-uusapan natin no, to, or to the listeners of the podcast there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong in, in being able to jump from one hat to another. In fact, it's an advantage, especially when you are in front of your clients. They do not have time. They do not have all the time in the world to talk about all these details. Therefore, clients expect you to be the skilled generalist, to curate, no, to curate all the information, all the data pieces. Para bago pa man makarating sa kanila, you have actually already provided like the best scenario one or scenario two or scenario three. And the clients don't need to go through all, you know, all the, the other details that will simply be not enlightening but actually confusing for their side. All right. Uh, well said, Jane. Uh, digital marketing is all about the rave right now, um, especially in uh, recruitment. People, all the brands, because of the uh, the current pandemic right now, suddenly the digital shift, and then suddenly all of my clients are asking, I need a digital marketer. And again, too many subsets. What do you want these digital marketers to do? And since it's all the rave right now, being in digital marketing, what should professionals, whether they're in high school, college, or even people, uh, I know a lot of professionals who wants to get into digital apps marketing because they see that it's trendy it's it's hot right now what should they see or what don't what they don't see what are the things that these professionals aspiring professionals don't see that they should see in digital marketing as a chief digital officer i oversee the whole digital business and there would be fundamentally two areas no that can be considered. And you could decide. You could also decide for yourself which of these two worlds you want to be able to make your mark in. And the first world will have to be the world of, of content, 
the world of creativity, the world of developing key visuals and materials and videos and structured snippets and headlines and descriptions. So it's, it's creation, right? The first world will revolve around creating materials that will send the best and the right message to your intended audience. In parallel, there's the second world, which will be revolving around media. So when I say media, I'm talking channels. I'm talking touch points. It's about making a decision whether you're going to dial up your social media or are you going to dial up search? Are you going to dial up your video marketing? Are you actually going to create your top funnel, uh, mid funnel campaigns through programmatic display? Do you want to do auction ads on TikTok? That is the kind of media world I'm describing. And when you do decide to take on a digital marketing role, I want you to, to, to look at these two worlds and assess. Assess which of these two fields you believe you will make the most mark in. So maybe I could give some hints, no? some hints to our listeners. If you are the type of person who is um, pretty much somebody who is grounded by consumer insight and developing big ideas based on data-driven strategies, and you are that kind of person you are you know, you have that vision. And, and that's very, that's actually very a unique trait, Pata. If you can have this vision in your mind when you see or feel what's happening to your consumers, you actually can envision what kind of material or what kind of words can make a difference. And for sure, you've heard this story now. It's been told so many times that you know, it's it's become urban legend, and it's about Sachi, Lord Sachi. You know, wherein was in the story, it was he was um, walking with a friend, and they came across a very poor man who apparently was blind. So he was around the corner before they crossed the street, and he had a sign. Pat, no, the poor man had a sign in front of him that said, "I am blind," and. Sachi was like telling his friend, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to that guy and I'm going to tell him, I'm going to change his sign. And I promise you, money will come to his, because he had this like coin, coin can, right? For beggars along the street. And Sachi was like, I'm going to change the sign and that will make people give money. And he did in the story. He did. He went to the poor guy. And he said, you know, he whispered something. And then he wrote on that uh, like carton piece no? or the sign. And lo and behold, of course, the story goes, but people started giving a lot of money. And you know what he, what he put in the sign? In that particular story, Sachi actually put there, it is springtime and I am blind. So with just a few words... Again, it's creation, no? If you have that vision, and it's really, truly a skill, if you are able to magically create not just these words, but these images, these 
animated, you know, it could be like animated, an animated picture. It could be a video. It could be a, an augmented reality interactive project or whatnot. I suggest that you look around for opportunities within the creativity uh, world. Meanwhile, if you have the heart, if you have the heart for data, you have the heart for numbers, and you have the heart for touch points and experiences. And I think I think that that would have to be the, the best word. If you are a person who can really push boundaries when it comes to meaningful experiences in touch points, whenever a person encounters a brand, a product, an institution, an organization, an NGO or whatnot, I suggest that you explore opportunities around media because that is how media is today. Media is not just about you're going to, okay, let's do TV, let's do radio, and maybe let's do Facebook and Google. That's, that's not just simply the role of a media practitioner. It is also our role to make sure that each time that the customer goes through his or her journey no, with the brand, with the product, you are meaningfully there. You are there at the right time. You are saying the right message and you are bringing meaning to the experience of that particular potential customer, right? So those are the two worlds that you can start thinking about. And hopefully that helps structure the kind of path that you would like to envision for your future. And in my role, if another underlying in the ecosystem path, if you are also interested in covering across the board, more of a generalist as well, no? there are also roles in the industry that would be around an integration, no? an integration role, wherein you oversee the nuts and bolts, both on the creative and the media side. And it is your responsibility that both will harmoniously deliver on the needs of the client. So hopefully that that helps our listeners know when you make that decision because um, there are a lot of things in each, but I would have to say um, it's, it's very exciting and, you know, cliche man, uh, the future is digital. Well, the future is now. Actually, the future, what, if, if it's digital, it was way yesterday. It was way before. So, so it's pretty exciting. It, it's a lot to take in, Pat, but it's so exciting. It's always changing. It's always evolving. Learning never stops. All right. Thank you for that, Shane. That you actually, it's, it's good that you were very specific between the two, uh, the content creation. And I actually wrote it down, uh, the media, these two fields. And of course, the third one being a generalist, these two, marrying the two and creating powerful campaigns. And I also want to ask you, since you were very specific with these two segments, which is the content and, of course, the media, who is digital marketing for? And speaking generally, who is digital marketing for? The personality type. Um, who do you think can thrive if they want to go into digital marketing, basing it from your own experience? In that perspective, Pat, I would like to use 
the example given by uh, Dan Pink, no, I encountered one of his masterclasses quite recently. So according to Dan Pink, there was this research back in the day. Scholars were studying about the, the personality type that would make the most su- successful I believe it was like a sales exercise wherein whoever uh, was able to sell the most. And they tested the whole project with extroverts, introverts, and ambiverts. Okay, And a lot of people actually assumed that in a sales advertising pers- persuasion, no? persuasion role, the extroverts would actually be the most successful. And you know what, Pat, in that study, scholars found out that extroverts were not the most successful ones because extroverts would push in a very, not just assertive, sometimes aggressive way amongst customers to a point na it's annoying. And some customers would think na this is too much, man. I mean... I'm walking out the door. I just said I don't want any of this and you're pushing me to to buy this. I'm I'm out the door, man. So so extroverts actually did not rank very highly in the whole persuasion exercise. Interestingly, even the introverts did not match significantly high sales rendered according to the study. Introverts were very shy. Introverts were, you know, asking one time and then the second time they push. And then after that, okay, they're the ones who walk away from the conversation and they leave their customers kind of like thinking, okay, that's it. Uh, Are we done? (laughs) It was actually the ambiverts who had the highest impact when it comes to driving the sales because they knew so they had the they, they had the whole balance of pushing when it's need when when, it, when there's really an opportunity to push and they also knew the the situations wherein they had to stop because you have to have that empathy you need you need to have that intelligent way of knowing if the customer will definitely convert or you know, there are situations you need to let go. And it would be the same in digital marketing. It has to be definitely not like just being an extrovert or being an introvert, but actually being an ambivert, depending on the situation. There are times, Pat, wherein you would encounter clients who would dictate, you no, know, who would dictate what they want to happen in a campaign. And that will really test your character. If you are a digital marketing professional, it will test your character because you are expected to also draw that line with all respect to a client because he or she is your client, but also being cognizant of the fact that it is your role to open their eyes to how it needs to be done. Right? And that again, also needs to be that balance between knowing how much you can push and knowing when to stop. And another case wherein that would be handy 
um, would be, we always use this path no, in any case or work. It's about choosing your battles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because in advertising, we have we have so many battles, no? And when I say battles, I'm not saying that we fight we we fight each other or or not or whatnot. But when I say battles, these are like challenges, like every day. I'm not even talking about new business pitches. I'm thinking I'm talking about like everyday challenges and and two arms, two legs, but uh, just eight hours, ten hours, maximum eleven hours sometimes. You get to work on a project and, and you know, you cannot please everybody. You, you, you just cannot please everybody and make everybody happy and everything cannot fail. There's also that virtue of being able to choose your, your battles. And, and that's also not just a skill, but it needs to be an everyday discipline. And that personality has to be very much innate in you so that you can, you know, really do your work successfully. And I would say, Pat, sometimes some people are built for advertising. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because there's like, they're like, some people are so strong and I'm not even saying like strong in a sense that it's physical or mental. No, it's like holistically strong. I mean that in a very sincere way. Some people are holistically strong, disciplined, and persevering. I think those three would would definitely make the cut. If you feel that you know you jump from one task to another, then you quit one if you feel it's not working out for you because actually digital is all about failure. And when you do not like failing, I don't think this field is for you. Failing in digital is a natural everyday moment. And that is what makes digital sexy. Because each time you fail, you learn. And from that learning, you catapult yourself to the next level. And for sure, you're going to make KPIs better. You're going to make the optimization better. It's a compounded progressive line chart that never plateaus and never goes down. So if you're at it and you feel that these are like values that you work hard for, and these are like characteristics that you believe you have or you can work hard to have, then ladies and gents, I think, I think that says it. I mean, I mean, come on over. Oh wow! I, I I like what you said that it never plateaus. I I strongly agree. <laughs> it's uh it never plateaus and it just keeps on climbing. And you, every failure it compounds and eventually catapults you to the next level. And I like the case study that you mentioned about the uh, introverts and the uh, extroverts. Ako kasi saktovert, sakto lang din. No. I like that term. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> Because always people would always say, "Are you extra or intro?" And then we'd say, "I'm ambivert," and I would always say, "No, it's ako saktovert lang." <laughs> so it's a right balance between the intro and the uh, extra. 
but yeah thank you so much shane uh it's uh it's very enlightening because to our listeners digital marketing is such a big big landscape and just like what shane mentioned it never plateaus it only keeps on growing and i strongly agree that if you're not the type who doesn't like failure and here the fact alone that we we didn't even uh discuss it about the a b testing the test Right. So that's basically a lot of failures there as well. Checking which formula works and holistically saying, ultimately, you got to have a growth mindset because you're going to be entering an industry that never plateaus. It's always hungry. But at the same time, if you're always hungry too, I think you would excel in digital marketing. So yeah, thank you so much, Shane. And I think you made a very strong argument, like a lawyer to our listeners on how to be a digital marketer. So thank you so much, Shane. Thank you, Pat. Job Defined is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia. Check out all the shows in the network by visiting their socials at Podcast Network Asia or visiting their website at podcastnetwork.asia. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.